celebrate that among other things today. So I'm going to start today with a statement. It's probably familiar to most of you. Everybody's doing it. I don't know why my slide keeps changing here. But mom, everybody's doing it. Of course, my folks would always say, if everybody was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off to hardy, har, har, har? And I said, if it's bridge day, I might. No, I would not, by the way. But But whether we know it or even want to admit it or not, we have a tendency to run with the crowd, don't we? We want to know what all the fuss and the excitement's about. We want to feel like we're included or in the know. The big thing today with cell phones and part of why people keep going back to their digital devices is FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Yeah. You got to get that tweet because it's like you'll be the first person to see it within the first six seconds that it came out and you'll know something before everybody else and then you try to post it real quick before somebody else posts it because you want to be in the know. You don't want to miss out. We want to feel like we're included. If everybody's seeing the Avengers movie, well, we need to see it. If everybody's trying that new restaurant, well, we need to do that too. If everybody's talking about a show that they've been binge-watching, which is weird to me, but anyway, we want to be a part of the conversation too. We can't be left out. We can't be weird and not know what everybody's talking about, can we? Well, as you've probably already guessed, we're going to see that the Bible has something to say about this today. Jesus is going to level quite the authoritative statement about just such a thought as he begins to end this Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read Matthew 7, 13 through 27, and we're going to focus on verses 13 and 14 today. So if you would, please stand as we read and hear the words of God. What a privilege. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord... Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Lord, we are quick to join the crowd. And this morning, I pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, show us the better way. Teach us and instruct us, convict us and lead us for your glory and our good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's quite a passage, isn't it? Kind of a, quite a, use an old phrase, a wallop. Quite a wallop. Does it make you feel a little uneasy? A little squirmy in our maybe too comfortable seats? Well, join the crowd, or better yet, don't. We'll talk about that in a minute. This passage that we just read, it's meant to be an uppercut, a right hook that ends this phenomenal sermon that we've been covering in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus, being the quintessential preacher, knows that the ending of the message is probably the most important part. They tell you to have a good hook at the beginning and to have good content with good clear message in the middle. But if you don't end it well, eh. Jesus knows that. And He knows that this is a time for His listeners to decide what they're going to do with what they just heard. Now again, we've covered a lot of ground in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And now Jesus is landing the plane, so to speak, and He's calling people to a decision. And He does it with this ending. These are the last words of the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody ever heard of Haddon Robinson? Probably the, uh, the authoritative textbook on preaching he wrote, called Biblical Preaching. He said this about concluding a sermon. The purpose of your conclusion is to conclude, not merely to stop. Your conclusion should be more than a swipe at getting out of an awkward situation. May God help us live in the light of these great truths. It should be more than asking the congregation to bow in prayer so you can sneak off the platform when they're not looking. You should conclude... And the conclusion should produce a feeling of finality. Like an able lawyer, a minister asks for a verdict. Your congregation should see your idea, your, your idea entire and complete, and they should know and feel what God's truth demands from them. Directly or indirectly, the conclusion answers the question, so what? What difference does this make? And your people face another question as a result of an effective conclusion. Am I willing to allow God to make that difference in my experience? End of quote. Jesus, here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is coming to decision time. We can listen to the past messages. We can read the past verses, the last chapters, and like it. And agree with it and say, yeah, that's right. 
But what are you going to do with it? That's what matters. And that's what Jesus is bringing all this down to. It's time to call His hearers, again, primarily His disciples, to a consecration based on the teachings that they've just heard. Here, at the end of the first major discourse in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says pretty plainly, get on or get off. He's making the point that this message of His, which is in reference to His kingdom, He's the king, remember, this message is supposed to bring people to the point of decision. If the answer to the so what question regarding this sermon is, ho-hum, no big deal, what's for lunch, no big difference in my life, then Jesus is saying, woe to you and me. And like the expert preacher that Jesus was, he lands this plane with expert handling. He leads his hearers to evaluate whether or not they're going to allow God to make that difference in their experience. And what a difference it is. So again, we're going to focus just on two verses today. Verses 13 and 14. Let me read those again. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I mean, doesn't that just make you want to go, These two verses set the stage for the call to decision that will follow in the ending verses of Matthew 7. And we'll cover those in probably two or three weeks. And then we'll be done with those. But this sets the table. These two verses. And it's pretty fitting that it's two verses. The rest of the passage revolves around the concept of two. Two gates, two ways or paths, two types of prophets, two kinds of trees, two responses on the last day, and two houses built on two types of foundations. Which makes it very clear that all this talk today in our quote-unquote enlightened age about there being all kinds of different ways to get to God or to heaven is patently wrong. It all boils down to two paths. Not two paths to God. One of those paths leads to God. The other one does not. So let's look at verse 13 where we begin to explore the concept of there being two gates and two paths. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Okay. So imagine you're going somewhere. You're going on a journey. You know where you want to go. And the first thing you come to in your journey are two gates behind which are roads that you must choose in order to get on with your journey. One gate is narrow with a narrow road behind it. You can't tell much about the road except it's really narrow and there aren't many people on it. The other gate is wide. It's got a nice wide road behind it. It's not in West Virginia. It's somewhere else. (laughs) Sorry, Governor. You're doing your job, I guess. It's paved. It's marked well, and there are tons of people on it. 
which gate are you going to choose? Well, Jesus tells us up front which gate He expects us to choose as His disciples. Enter by the narrow gate. Well, shoot. Up front, we see clearly and quickly what we're supposed to do, don't we? Regardless of what things look like, regardless of what we feel like, regardless of what our desires may be, we are told plainly to enter by the narrow gate. So does this affect which gate we will choose in our make-believe journey? Well, it ought to, for sure. But does it? Now, something that's very important to note here is this verse starts with a command. This verse doesn't start with a choose. This verse starts with a command. And the command is clear. Enter by the narrow gate. There's no option there. It's a command. We can look at this passage and say, well, we got two choices here. No, we don't. As the disciples of Jesus, we do what He says. He is the Lord, He is the Master, and He determines our path for us. So Jesus isn't saying, let me lay out two possible paths for you, and you figure out which one you want to do. The King is saying, enter by the narrow gate. He gives the divine imperative, and then what follows in the rest of verse 13 and then verse 14, expounds on that. It is very important that we realize this two-verse passage is a command. That was kind of like revolutionary for me this week as I studied. Because all week I'm thinking, oh, I need to compare these two paths. It's not the point. The point is do what the Lord says. And the Lord says enter by the narrow gate. So I don't really have two options. I've got one. You say, well, I've got two options. I can obey or disobey. Well, you can, but then that makes you the Lord and not Him. Now, we just came out of Jesus talking about how to interrelate with people at the beginning of chapter 7, about not condemning, not inspecting specks with logs in our own eyes. We learned about discerning dogs and pigs and treating others the way we want to be treated. Now, There's a lot of discernment involved in all of that. There's a lot of gray area, right? There are choices and moods and people and times of day and amounts of sleep and situations and a lot of moving parts, but not here. Not today. This is simple. Do this. That's the command. Enter by the narrow gate. So in drawing this sermon to a close... Jesus is saying clearly, this is what I expect you to do. This is what I'm commanding you to do. Enter by the narrow gate. And this is the pivotal command after all the sermon that precedes it. You want to know what to do in light of seeing the difference between external man-made righteousness and true heart-level God-given and Christ-exalting righteousness? Then this is what you do. You enter by the narrow gate. Now we see that in light of the whole passage that we read at the beginning and then the reiteration of verses 13 and 14 that we just read, we have to think about, in light of all that, the suddenness and the sharpness of enter by the narrow gate. That statement at this point. So this whole sermon, 
let me just condense it for you, okay? Starts like this and then proceeds like this. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. You are, you've heard this, but I say this. You are to be perfect when you give, when you fast, when you pray. Lay up treasures your Father knows, your Father loves. Don't judge, ask, seek, knock, do unto others. Enter by the narrow gate. All that was said prior may sound implausible. It may sound out of reach. Again, remember Matthew 5.46? You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That can all sound implausible and just too far out of reach. All that has been said prior was not commonplace, nor was it embraced widely, but... Enter by the narrow gate. Make the choice, or better yet, make it your priority to choose the impractical, harder way of life. This is the command at the close of the message. And it's a decision to be made in light of hearing all that went before it. Now, this I hope that I can paint this picture for you in a way that makes this a little clearer. But the word enter is an aorist, active, imperative verb. Okay? I think we get active and imperative, right? Active is I'm doing it. It's not being done to me. Imperative means it's a command. But what about aorist? Now, for those of you who haven't had Greek class, including me, (laughs) I've studied some Greek, but I didn't have Greek class. What does it mean that this is an aorist verb? That's A-O-R-I-S-T. Well, simply put, and very simply, aorist means past tense. So plug that in. Enter by the narrow gate. Does that work? I think aorist would say something like, you have entered by the narrow gate. Right? Past tense is not do this. Enter as a command can't be past tense, can it? Jesus is saying to do something. He didn't say you entered by the narrow gate, but He said enter. And the tense of the word indicates a past action. So what in the world? Well, this is pretty interesting. Bill, I'm going to guess his name is pronounced Munts, but it's M-O-U-N-C-E. Bill Mounts. Mounts just don't sound right. He's a biblical Greek teacher, explains it this way. He said, just to be clear, I believe that aorist indicates past time. And yet the aorist is so much more than, quote, past time. And in fact, is significantly secondary to the real gist of the tense. Now, hold on. Listen, now this is, listen, get a hold of this. He said, students need to be reminded of this periodically. He uses a word picture of the heiress. He says, you're in a helicopter over the parade, looking at the parade as a whole. Another person talks about seeing the action from the outside as a whole rather than from inside the action. So instead of being in the middle of the parade, you're in a helicopter over the parade. And he says, my all-time favorite 
is the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. Talking about Aorist as an overall picture. Where God said, This is my beloved, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased, which is an aorist tense verb. I am well pleased is an aorist tense verb. And then he says this the aorist is not saying that God was pleased with Jesus, which would imply possibly that he was no longer pleased. That would be heresy. But the sum total of his life, perhaps culminating in his humble submission to a sinner's baptist, was pleasing to the Father. Okay, now, I I see a lot of quizzical looks and I'm glad. That means you're thinking. Okay? So bring that thought, especially the thought of not being in the midst of the parade, but being up above it, looking at God saying to Jesus in that point of His life, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, and those being in the aorist tense, in the past tense, bring that into our discussion today where Jesus is saying, enter. Okay? Taking the whole sermon into account taking your whole life into account, taking the whole work of Jesus into account, enter by the narrow gate. Looking at what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen, enter by the narrow gate. It is to be a foregone conclusion. It is to be a done deal for Jesus' disciples to have entered by the narrow gate. So the command is a command that should encompass everything before, everything right now, and everything in the future, but it's already a done deal. You understand that? Are you with me? That's really big for the rest of this message, okay? It's to be done and done with. Looking from the helicopter view of your life, see the point where you entered. See the whole teaching of Jesus and see that you entered into it wholeheartedly once and for all. Enter by the narrow gate. It's a done deal. To combine it with Muntz's illustration, enter and be well pleased. Because, listen to me, there's going to be a lot of noise and distraction after you enter here. You're going to be prone to forget... We sing it, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Help me to enter as a means of having already entered and never having to enter again. Enter and know that it has happened at one point in the past and was done. Enter and see the entirety of Jesus' teaching in this Sermon on the Mount and what He will teach after. Do it. Settle it. Be done with it. And that's important because look what Jesus says after this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Know that the decision has been made in light of this body of teaching and the teacher... Himself, for. For is a transition word. Do this for. It means because. Enter by the narrow gate for 
because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. Enter by the narrow gate for there's another gate. Take the narrow one because it's going to look like you should want to go the other way. Enter the narrow gate for because your senses and your sensibilities are going to say something else along the line somewhere. Enter by the narrow gate because the other option is going to look really good. Seems upside down and backwards, doesn't it? Choose the dirty looking hotel. Four, other hotels are going to look really nice and most other people are going to pick them. That don't make sense, does it? But it does. Pick the used car with the floorboard rotten out because most everyone else is going to be driving beautiful new ones. That's what Jesus is saying here. And it don't make sense. Does it? Enter the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. Well, that seems to undercut the call to pick the narrow gate, right? I'm pretty fond of wide gates and easy ways. How about you? I'll take that, yes. For 1,000, Alex, yes. Wide path, easy. Yes, please. (laughs) That appeals to my sense of security and ease. Wide and easy, please. Easy peasy, wide and easy. Sounds like my kind of road. But there's one little problematic detail here. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Oh yeah, well there's that. (laughs) Well, no thank you to the destruction part. I'd rather not end up at destruction regardless of how nice the road is that gets me there. Right? And that's Jesus' point. You see, it looks nice. And it's easy once you're on it. But the end of the road is the worst case scenario. The end is bad. And in a situation where there are two options, good or bad, I don't want to choose bad. But it looks good and easy. And I know where it leads. And then Jesus presses the issue even further by reminding us that this wide gate and easy road is heavily populated. And those who enter by it are many. Listen to me, church. Many people are headed to destruction. Why? Because they took the easy way. They used their common sense. They chose the wider gate and ended up on a nice, even, well-paved road for themselves. And that road is self-man-made righteousness. And that's easy. And makes a lot of good sense to us. I'll be a good person. I'll try to make sure my good outweighs my bad. I'll not be as bad as the other people. I'll make sure that what everybody sees is a good guy and not let them know the real me, which is a mess. 
I'll just do what everybody else is doing. I'll blend in. I won't rock the boat. That's easy. And that's where most people live. And in the end, it leads to destruction. Destruction is final adverse judgment by and from God Himself. Yes, the gate was wide. Yes, the road was easy. And the end, after all that ease, is God's authoritative disapproval and eternal judgment. But again, the command from Jesus for His disciples is to enter by the narrow gate. Well, what's that like? Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to start a movement, I want some people. I want some momentum. I want some funds coming in. Jesus is not interested in your movement. So if we're going to obey Jesus' command, our only choice, only choice, is the narrow gate. And here, Jesus juxtaposes the wide gate and the easy road that leads to destruction with the narrow gate and hard way that leads to life. Wide, easy, destruction. Narrow, hard, life. And while many went through the wide gate to the easy road leading to destruction, it's just a few who find the narrow gate and hard road leading to life. And look, they're looking for it. They found it. This is a contrast to what was said in verse 13. For, in contrast to verse 13, verse 14 is a completely different situation. It's narrow and hard and only a few find it. And the end destination is clearly the desired outcome. Life. And getting there is not easy, nor is it popular. Not everybody's doing it. It seems like Jesus is not being very seeker friendly, is He? Hey you guys, you want to follow me? Alright. It's going to be hard and not many are coming with us. You're going to have to squeeze through this narrow gate and travel through lots of hard. Who wants to come? But you see, it's the short-sighted and present-focused people who are going to turn down this offer because they're not looking at the end result. This narrow, hard road leads to life. Life! The Greek word for life here is zoe, Z-O-E, and it means real and genuine life. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion even in this world of those who put their trust in Christ, but after the resurrection to be consummated by new accessions, among them a more perfect body, and then to last forever. 
And the Greek structure is actually the life. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Same structure here. The life. There's really only one real life. Only one abundant life. And the present thinkers don't see the truth of eternal everlasting life. They only see now, today, as their only life. But Jesus says these wide, easy road walkers are going to miss the life, the real abundant life that comes after this life ends. And I don't know about you, but I know that it's hard to think about later life when now life is hard. I want now life to be easy and fun. It's hard to focus on how good later is going to be when now is so hard and scary. But Jesus says that our only choice, our only hope, is to know that our entrance into the narrow and hard road leads to where Jesus said it would. The life. The life. And He knows most won't choose this road. But He commands His disciples to choose this road. For their good even when it doesn't seem like it's for their good. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Well, that's a lot to process and digest, isn't it? But it's going to be best processed as we look to apply it. And that's the whole point here. So let's do that. So we started today by talking about how people do what everybody else is doing. Well, our text today addresses that pretty squarely, doesn't it? Don't do what everybody else is doing. So our application will address that as well. And we'll look at it in 3D. i got three Ds, three points that start with D. Destruction, denial, and different. Destruction, denial... And different. First, let's look at destruction. Jesus said in our text today that the wide gate and the easy road filled with many people leads to what? Destruction. Well, that's a pretty big deal now, isn't it? If I'm on a road, I want to know where it's leading. And their road leads to destruction. Listen to me. We have to focus on that as we make choices in this life as Christ's disciples. We have to ask ourselves where this choice we are making ultimately leads us to. Everything leads somewhere. And we have to know if what we are doing is leading to destruction or life. Now, the question is, is there a way we can know this? Well, again, according to Jesus today, we can know easily. Exactly. How? By looking at who is doing it and how hard or easy it is. What do I mean by that? Well, is everybody doing it? Does the world and its system make what is being done easy? 
Or does the world and its system make what's being done hard? If everybody is doing it and the world applauds it and facilitates it happening, well then guess what? It leads to destruction. If few are doing it and the world opposes it, well guess what? It leads to life. You say, well you're oversimplifying this. I don't think so. I really don't. This is a call to another D, which is not an application point. Discernment. Now remember, discernment's not an application point. It's in the first application point of destruction. We have to discern what will ultimately lead to death or life. We can't just go along to get along. We have to look at ends much more than we look at current situations. We're lazy in our thinking. And we let our impulses and our desires drive us. And that leads to destruction. We have to be able to see up the road that we're on, not just the bit of pavement or stone in front of our faces or under our feet. Now we have to live now. It's always now. But now leads to later. And if you're not beginning with the end in mind, you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. Anybody ever made a simple choice that took them somewhere? Oh, shoot, didn't mean to get here. Jesus' disciples have to have discernment and they have to see where the choice that they make leads them to. Is it destruction or is it life? So we have to have discernment. Listen to this. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now let me ask you something. Are you constantly practicing distinguishing between good and evil? Or do you just make a from-the-hip decision as it comes along, oh, well, this is what I think I should do? Instead of looking and saying, where does this path lead? Where does this thing that I like lead? Where do six donuts lead me? And I say that only half joking. Where does my laziness lead me to? Bible's clear. Poverty. Where does this simple choice today lead me in the future? Well, I don't know that it'll really lead me anywhere. Oh, it will. And if you don't have your senses trained your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, you are going to go along to get along. You are going to join the crowd. You say, but I'm, I'm saved. Are you? You better know. You better make that decision real quick. 
You better choose to enter by the narrow gate now, discerning that the narrow gate leads to life and the broad gate leads to destruction. How's your discernment? Our powers of discernment have to be trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We can't tell what's going to lead to life and what's going to lead to destruction unless we are constantly practicing distinguishing between good and evil. How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, it just doesn't matter? Let me say something this morning that maybe you agree with, maybe you don't, but I'm asking you to consider it. Everything matters! Every lazy day, every idle word, every lazy thought, it all matters. Look at this. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It all matters. Constant. Looking at our situations and circumstances with a mind to tell how we should respond is part of the heart on the narrow road. And the thought that everything matters makes it all the harder. It does. I get that. But that don't change it. Every choice, every thought, every word is an opportunity for us to discern God's will from the way of the world, to discern life or destruction. So the application point here under destruction is that you should, Christian, constantly, constantly practice to distinguish good from evil, life from destruction. Now where's that going to come from? It's going to come from the Word. It's going to come from the counsel of the church, accountability to the church, walking with the wise so that you can be wise. And it's going to come from a decision to say, I am going to make the choice to constantly work on this, to constantly practice this. Is this good? Is this evil? Does it lead to life or does it lead to destruction? Listen to me. Christianity is not for lazy people. You're not going to float into heaven. You're not going to drift onto the shores of glory one day. You're going to show up with your sails set. Receiving the wind of the Spirit or you're not going to get there. Destruction. If what we're discerning leads to destruction, what should it lead us to do then? That's our second point. Denial. Destruction, then denial. So we see where our choices lead through discernment, through avoiding destruction. Well, if something leads to destruction, what should we do? Deny ourselves that thing that might be in question. And let me just say, I struggle with this myself because I pretty much want what I want and I don't like to think about saying no to myself. Even if I know that what I want is not best in either the short or the long term. But listen to me, self-denial is a key concept in the Christian life. 
Jesus will say later in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would enter by the narrow gate, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I promise you, you will not take up a cross if you have not denied yourself. And you cannot follow Jesus if you have not taken up a cross. So it all starts with denying myself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus Jesus makes it clear that you can't come after Him, you can't follow Him if you don't deny yourself. And in light of what we've looked at today, that means making the decision up front that the narrow gate and the hard road is our path, regardless of what may happen somewhere up that road. This is not a conditional road. You've made the decision ahead of time. And that decision includes knowing that it's going to cost you things you want and things that look or feel desirable. If I can't say no to some things that I want, if I can't release control of my life, I will not know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ who denied himself taking the form of a servant, laying down his life to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you do not know what it means to exercise self-denial, you will never follow Jesus. Ever. You will never enter the narrow gate if you don't know what it means to deny yourself. This inability to purposefully focus on saying no to the easy and the self-satisfying is an indicator of what path you are on. And if you can't deny yourself... You are not on the path that leads to life. You are on the path that leads to destruction. But man, we're control freaks, right? And we like things that we know are bad or wrong for us. Anybody? Yeah. I like some of that stuff that's on the road to destruction. I like it. That's why I have to deny myself. Some of y'all are, I don't know, maybe not. There may be a 90s country fan in here. Alan Jackson had a song back in the 90s, Everything I Love is Killing Me. Same. Maybe not everything. So much of what I embrace and love with a physical love and desire is killing me. And I've got to say no to it. We not only want things we know are not good for us, we willingly embrace them. We love them. But the narrow road that leads to life is full of relinquishing control. The narrow road that leads to life is full of giving up things that we cling to, saying no to things that we feel are good, and ultimately then we are denying ourselves. Now I would remind us here that there are two paths, two ways. Not many where there might be several different degrees of permissiveness or allowances. There are two. One easy and filled with what we want, and one hard and filled with self-denial. It's one of them feel-good messages, right? Listen to me. If you are at the center of your life, 
If you are the focus of your life, if you are the most important person in your life, odds are that you are on the easy road leading to destruction. But if you deny yourself and make others more important than yourself, which sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount, if you do to others what you would want them to do to you, then you are more than likely on the narrow path that leads to life. And it is hard. And the whole point of self-denial now is so that we will have the life later. Putting off my wants now so I can have what I want and need most later. This is the concept of delayed gratification. And that's what mature people do. That's why you can deny yourself because what I want later is better than what I want right now. And if we don't live in light of eternity, we're not going to be able to deny ourselves now. We're not going to be able to say no to sin now if we don't know that something better is waiting up ahead. But we choose sin now because we like it. Jesus says, deny yourself. Delayed gratification is a hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our best life is not now. I don't care how many books have told you that it is. It's not. This is hard. So that later can be the life. Self-denial is the road map for the narrow way. So destruction, denial, and one last point. Different. A follower of Jesus on the narrow road that leads to life is going to be different than the culture around them. Period. They are on the path that few are on meaning that they are not like most of the other people that are in their lives. Listen to me. Most of the people in your life are on the path to destruction. That doesn't make you better than them. But understand that. Because when you walk with them on the path that they're walking, it leads to destruction. So if you are on the path that leads to life, that means there are few, few people who are walking like you're walking. So you can't just blend in and look like those who are on the broad path leading to death. This is a call, again, to not go with the flow and not just do what everybody else is doing. And this is hard. You're like, well, you're making this sound like bad news. I'm just telling you the truth. You can't look like everybody and be a follower of Jesus. You can't fit in with the culture around you and be on the narrow path that leads to life. So much of the Old Testament, God is directing His people to look and act differently than the cultures and peoples around them. And everything that was written in former times is written for our instruction. This is a concept called holiness. And you talk about a concept, a truth that's been lost in the modern church, it's holiness. Holiness being set apart for God in the midst of a world that looks like it's not. So I make my plans, I make my decisions on what God says. And it's going to make me look different. 
God spent the whole Old Testament telling the Old Testament saints, do this, don't do this, so that the world may know, the nations may know that I am God. In our New Testament times, this calls us to separateness, difference from the purpose of the world, for the purpose of showing God to the world. Paul shows this in clear language, partially borrowing from Old Testament law, when he says in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read 6.14 through 7.1. We're almost done, y'all. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now that is not just about marriage, but it is at least about marriage. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said in the Old Testament, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We've been looking at that in our study on Wednesday night. Therefore, God is in your midst. Therefore, go out from their midst. And be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Then chapter 7 verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God." When was the last time you thought about, I'm going to make this decision because this is what is holy? Not because this is what I like or what I want or what I see everybody else doing. I'll choose this profession because this is holy. I'll do this today because it's holy. We don't think that way. And we're supposed to. Paul is saying that we are not to be in partnership, in league with the evil and the world around us, but we are to be separate, other, different. And if we're not, we have to evaluate where our priorities are and where our affections really lie. And remember, most of the world will be on the broad path. So holiness is not going to look like what everybody else is doing. So it's a pretty safe bet that if everybody's doing it, we probably should not be doing it as Christians. You say, oh, come on now. I think it's a good rule of thumb. Look around and see what everybody is doing and then don't. Everybody cheats on their spouse. Listen, I've heard that a lot. Well, then don't. Everybody gets a divorce. Well, then don't. Everybody cheats on their taxes. Don't. Everybody's watching this movie. You say, come on now. Don't! I won't give y'all any spoilers, but we did watch Endgame. And I told my wife the other day, they're going to push it to the point where I can't watch these things anymore. They just keep pushing it a little further and a little further. And this is funny and cute now. 
And this is innocuous here, but they're going to keep pushing it until I'm going to have to put my foot down and say, I'm not going to subject my family to this because it is not holy. Oh, come on. It's just a movie. It's not just a movie. This is about holiness. And we've lost holiness and the fear of the Lord in our day and time. We are to be different. We are to stand out. We are to be outcasts. Holiness looks different than the culture around it. And if it doesn't, then it's not holiness. In the end times, God is going to judge this world and its systems. And He says that He is going to destroy them. And all those who have been a part of them will be destructively judged along with it. I'm going to read Revelation 18, 1-8, where the world is referred to as Babylon, and God calls His people out of her. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with His glory. And He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a dwelling place for demons! A haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Easy, right? Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury on the broad, easy path, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Broad is the path, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. Luxuries. Pleasures. And God says, come out of her, my people. Be separate. Be distinct. Be holy as I am holy. You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's hard. So hard it costs Jesus Christ his life. And it's going to cost you your life too. If not, you are headed for destruction. Living a life of self-denial leads to a different type of life. Enter by the narrow gate. That's in your court and in my court. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Surely I would have despaired if I had not known that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. Father, you know our frame that we are but dust. You know that we are drawn to the luxuries and the comforts and the pleasures of the world. That's why you tell us here today, enter by the narrow gate. Make up your mind beforehand. Count the cost. And know that this is going to be hard. And the end thereof is abundant life. God, I thank you that I don't have to wait for heaven to experience abundant life. I can experience abundant life now on the hard road as I share fellowship with you in the midst of my sufferings. God, that narrow gate is shaped like a cross. And my Jesus died on that cross so that I could enter onto this narrow, hard road. But Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He came down dead. And we celebrated last week His resurrection. And that resurrection life is what puts Him on this path with me now. Help me to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And help me to look forward to abundant life with Him now, while I'm on this earth and in the future. Help me to deny myself. Take up my cross and follow Him so that I might reach that life that You have promised me, God. And if there be those here this morning, this afternoon, who do not know the promises of eternal life, God, would You, by the power of Your Spirit, show them Jesus. Show them their need for a Savior. Show them their sins. Show them that they are on the broad path that leads to destruction. And call them to repentance. Call them to trust in the cross of Christ like we sing about this morning. May they repent of their sins and find abundant life. And may we walk this road together, this narrow, hard path that leads to life. We need your help. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? A much-needed benediction, I think. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay neat with us if you can.